possible. <laughs> Most of us just would like to go curl up in our room for about an hour. So, okay, wonderful. Thank you. I think we're ready to begin. Let's begin, if we may please, with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. O God, who in a wonderful sacrament hast left unto us a memorial of thy passion, grant us, we beseech thee, so to venerate the sacred mysteries of thy body and blood, that we may ever perceive within ourselves the fruit of thy redemption, who livest and reignest with the Father and the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. Amen. I've asked Father Matt Harlow to assist me today, and we will be presenting the key element of liturgy and then taking your comments and questions for a 20-minute period. We're going to start now for 20 minutes of presentation, and then we'll have 20 minutes of Q&A. And I want to thank each and every one of you for coming in today. I will refer briefly to notes I have prepared, but some of this will be off the cuff. Let's start off the cuff. The liturgy, liturgia, which is often translated from the Greek as work of the people, can also be understood as work on behalf of the people and the common work of the people together. There are various interpretations of the term, but what is clear from the word liturgia is this is the sacred action of Jesus Christ in his church. And the liturgy is the supreme thing we do in church. It is number one. It is our highest vocation. It is the unique and distinctive vocation of the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, which is the mystical body of Jesus Christ, to render unto God the Father the adoration of Jesus Christ, his Son, in the Holy Spirit. And the Eucharistic sacrifice of the altar and the sacrifice of daily prayer and praise in the church is our mystical participation in the Holy Trinity. As St. Mark of Ephesus put it uh, back in the Middle Ages, an Eastern Orthodox theologian, worship is the heart and essence of the church. And that phrase remains true today. Bishop Callistos Ware, a 20th century Eastern Orthodox theologian, says so wonderfully and wisely that the church possesses the unique vocation of rendering unto the Holy Trinity that worship which he ordained. And the church does that one thing which no other entity on earth can do. You can have a social circle. You can have a youth group. You can have a fellowship. You can have a club. The church is none of these things. But the church as the ecclesia is the body of Jesus Christ which is called out. The term for church in Greek, ecclesia, means the called out ones. And we are called out from the world, consecrated unto God out of the world to become what St. Peter describes as a peculiar people. And we are a a very peculiar people sometimes, aren't we? But what does he mean also? He goes on to say, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar, a designated people who are as living stones being built up into a temple to offer spiritual sacrifices to God by Jesus Christ. So liturgy worship is the essay, the essence of the church. And if we place that at the front of our hearts and minds, 
then it is clear that we need to be attentive to liturgy in our own local communities, our parishes and missions in a supreme, a supernal way. Really, nothing is more important than liturgical worship by what God has given to us in the liturgy. The liturgy is a a gift. It's a gift of apostolicity because the liturgical form and pattern of our worship comes from the Lord Jesus who gave it to the apostles and the apostles in turn turn have handed it down to the church through the centuries so that liturgical worship, the liturgy of the church is part of apostolic tradition and as such arises from the Holy Spirit who leads and guides the church into all truth. In other words, this is not arbitrary. It's not man-made. We are to be the servants of the liturgy not its masters, because the liturgy comes to us from the heart of Christ in the church by the Holy Spirit, and it is a constitutive part of apostolic tradition. So what I'm doing here is laying the theological foundation framework for what we can do in our churches to enhance the way that we worship. I've written this before, and I will repeat it. Orthodox liturgical worship The very word orthodox means right glory, right praise, right worship. We are offering to God that worship which he has given to us. Or as my cousin used to say, you can worship God your way. I'll worship him his. (laughs) Well, we Anglican Catholics, we worship him his way. He gave us the mass. He gave us the liturgy. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in anamnesis of me. Do this to make me present again. The liturgical life of the church, the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, through which the holy sacraments are administered and the divine office of the church is offered, anamnetically makes present the Lord Jesus Christ in his saving person and work. So the liturgy makes Christ present in his salvation and his person for the salvation of the world. So we can never overestimate the value, the centrality, and the significance of our liturgy. It is absolutely crucial. The liturgy, therefore, should be celebrated in the beauty of holiness. And as the world around us becomes uglier and uglier and uglier, the beauty of holiness, of reverence before God, becomes all the more transformative and it distinguishes us even more and more as the body of Christ. We should endeavor to pursue a Latin phrase called Ars Celebrandi. Ars Celebrandi is the art of celebration, which is that we offer to God our liturgical worship with a sense of beauty, of reverence, of real glory of rendering holiness unto the Lord. You know, in ancient Israel, at the temple in Jerusalem, there was a sign that said, Holiness to the Lord. That is what we are entering into in the celebration of the sacred mysteries in the liturgy. Therefore, the Ars Celebrandi, this art of celebration, shows us that we should offer the fullness of the apostolic tradition which is expressed and embodied with all the reverence, transcendence, dignity, and the sense of the numinous that it deserves. 
The liturgy is not only the work of the people of God, though it certainly is. It is, in fact, the incarnate Lord Jesus himself present to us in mystery and sign. So when we approach the details, the specifics of liturgical worship, we should be conscious and sensitive to the fact that, in fact, we worship a sacramental God. And this sacramental God of the incarnation, the Word made flesh, is manifested in the liturgy. And he is truly present to us. Anamnesis, Jesus says at the Last Supper, do this to make me present again. Do this to recall me before God and man. So the liturgy does precisely this. Only the very highest forms of music, architecture, ceremonial, and common prayer are fitting for the celebration of the worship of the church. And these elements of architecture, music, ceremonial, and common prayer unite seamlessly together to render unto the Holy Trinity right glory, right worship. The Holy Eucharist, the daily office, and our personal prayer should be routinely combined in the Christian life to create a dynamic and graced renovation of the believer. As Martin Thornton, that great Anglican spiritual master, wrote, there is a Holy Trinity of prayer. And our parishes and missions should endeavor to place these three things at the essence, at the heart, at the center of our corporate and parochial life. First, the Holy Eucharist, then the divine office, and then personal prayer, personal devotion. But no prayer life is complete without these three elements. As the old Anglo-Catholics said in England in the 19th century, it is the Mass that matters. It is the Mass that matters, and it really, really does. The four dimensions of church life and growth that we're talking today each have their pivotal place in the life of the church, but nothing, nothing rises above the liturgy. The liturgy is at the very heart, at the very core of who we are as Christians and as the body of Christ. The supreme and ultimate purpose of the church of our church is to worship our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. The purpose of the church is to worship the Holy Trinity. Worship is the unique and distinctive vocation of the church which no other organization can achieve. The church is the divine society of souls. The church exists for the Eucharist and the Eucharist makes the church. So for us as incarnational, sacramental Christians, the gospel is lived in and through our worship. And the, the, the sort of the, the apex point of this is that Christ is found in the mystery of word and sacrament. How am I doing? Ah, I've got 10 minutes. Marvelous. So I'm halfway through this presentation. I hope you're holding in there. Okay. Let me offer now, let's go from the theological foundations from the theological principles let's go to practical guidelines for liturgy bishop that all sounded really good maybe maybe it sounded horrible but what do we do about it let me give you a few ideas okay practical guidelines for worship number one acquire a copy of ritual notes or another authoritative guide 
to the proper celebration of the liturgy. We have books that provide for us the necessary information we all need about altar linens, vestments, appointments of the altar, and the sanctuary, etc., etc. We should always have recourse to good counsel. Both priest and people need it and consult written guides on a regular basis. We can avoid needless errors and oddities when we do so, when we go this way. So it's all right to look things up. We should all look things up. If we have a question, it's okay to look it up. Number two, please select hymns and service music that your congregation can actually sing. (laughs) This one is very important. Please select hymns and service music your congregation can sing. Opening and closing hymns should have energy and vibrancy and not be soft and meditative. Soft and meditative music should be reserved for hymns like the gradual, the sermon, offertory, and communion. Please, no hymns with alleluias from Septuagesima until Easter. (laughs) Remember, we bury the alleluia for pre-Lent. And Alleluia doesn't come back until Easter Day. So we don't want to use Alleluia's through pre-Lent and Lent. But it's a very serious point. A lot of our churches sometimes suffer liturgically and in terms of the sense of the transcendent and the numinous because we are trying to sing music with which we are not acquainted or music that is too difficult to sing. Yes? Just uh, one point, people, when they visit St. Matthew's, they always say that, you know, the music is so good and people sing so well. Well, one thing I do constantly, that we have some great hymns that are up in orbit someplace. <laughs> right. Case in point, Hosanna to the Living God. You know, it's way up there in the stratosphere that most older people can't get there anymore. True. And so if you have a transposer, for heaven's sake, bring it bring down. Bring it down, yes. And then please. Can sing those <clears throat> enthusiastically. And, and, yes. And it's wonderful to adjust even the pitch or the tone of music to what the congregation can actually and sing. I've been doing that because, like, first thing in the morning at 7 o'clock, and nobody's voice is working yet. So, absolutely. Is that a little morning tenor, morning croup? <laughs> yes. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you, Father. Absolutely. I was hoping you would say something. (laughs) You might say more. I've got a little bit more here to say about that. Number three. Number three. This may be controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway, okay? If music cannot be played well or sung well, or let us say if the music cannot be rendered in the traditional form, which is mandated by history and our liturgical rite, It is better to have a musical Eucharist with little music or to have a Eucharist with no music than to sing one badly. Okay? It is is better to have a low mass or a low Eucharist, a a sad Eucharist, than it is to sing badly in church. And I think this needs to be operative for us all. Father, yes? One of the things that I've done is occasionally we don't have We, I select the hymns, but rather than singing them, 
we speak them just like you would speak yeah. a song. Or yes, like like a reciting out of the Missal of Minor Paupers exactly. or something like that. Yeah. So it becomes sort of an anthem. Yeah, exactly. Now, and I don't want to sound critical here, but there is nothing wrong with the peace, serenity, and contemplation of the said Eucharist or low mass. The said form may be certainly appropriate for missions and small parishes until adequate provision can be made for music. So please don't feel that we all have to put on some orchestral performance for the proper rendering and the reverent celebration of the Mass. That isn't so. And the church does provide a beautiful and contemplative form of worship in the low Mass or the said Eucharist. We should not be afraid to use that when needed. Yes, I have two hands. Yes. We have John. a choir director who instructs us about music and so forth, and when he's not there, we go a cappella. Yes. We love it. Yes, a cappella is lovely if you have a choir or a group of select singers that can sort of support that, or even the congregation. If the congregation can support that kind of music, it's beautiful. And we can certainly do that. That's the way it goes. Yes. That sounds good. Father, yes. And just one other thing is that if you have a choir that's starting out or a choir of older people with lower voices, it's much better to sing something that's simple, one or two parts, than to try a four-part thing that's, that comes out poorly with the very same principle. It just grates on the nerve and destroys the spirit of reverence. Absolutely. It's done poorly. Thank you. If liturgy is done poorly, it may be valid, it certainly is valid in that the holy sacrifice of the Mass is consecrated and offered to God, but it may not be edifying. And we want our liturgy not only to be valid, but we want it to be enriching for souls, and we want it to be edifying for the faithful. Yes. Thank you. Uh, the next point I have is number four. It is helpful to give occasional instruction as to how to receive Holy Communion. Explanation of best practices in receiving on the tongue or on the hand or by intinction is very helpful, particularly for visitors, along with blotting of lipstick before drinking from the chalice. All these things should be addressed. So if we aren't publishing notices about how to receive Holy Communion, whether on the tongue or the hands or by intinction, if we're not reminding our ladies that, that they will destroy the, the altar linens if they put too much lipstick on them. Every Sunday I, I receive word from the altar guild that another purificator has been rendered unusable because of lipstick, or at least it's going to take a month to wash it. So this is all very important for us. And so we should, in our publications for the liturgy, address these issues. Along these lines, number five, it is helpful to provide printed notices to all people, communicants and visitors alike, regarding the discipline of our church concerning Holy Communion. It really does help to say who may receive the Blessed Sacrament or a blessing at the altar rail and why. These notices can be included in the Sunday Bulletin and, yes, Sunday Bulletins are still in vogue it's not time to give those up and put it on the screen. We're not ready for that, are we? Traditional Anglo-Catholics don't do that. 
So the notices should be included in a Sunday bulletin. The fulsome Sunday bulletin providing the complete outline of the service is still very beneficial and should be used. I'll pause for questions in a moment as I go through these. Number six, please make sure that vessels, purificator, corporal, anything that has touched the precious body and blood of Christ is properly rinsed after Mass and treated with the reverence it needs. If we don't have a piscina, we rinse these items over a large bowl, take the bowl outside, and pour the water on the ground. Very basic. But we need to treat the Blessed Sacrament with reverence. Number seven, one should print all responses that we wish people to make other with the and with thy spirit if they are not in the prayer book. So if any of you are using liturgies from the Missal or some other authorized source and you have any kind of responses or prayers that people say, these need to be provided in print for your congregation. And eight, better yet, it is now possible with print technology to print the entire service in a booklet form for every Sunday and Holy Day, including the lyrics to the hymns. This full service booklet helps everyone, parishioners and visitors alike, to follow the liturgy more closely and accurately, and it's really worth the investment of time to do that. A number of our parishes actually publish the entire Eucharist, the Mass, in a full booklet every Sunday and Holy Day from the opening hymn to the final recessional hymn. That can be very, very helpful. It's very time-consuming, but if you have it in a template, then all you have to do is put in the variable, the, the, uh, the, those varying prayers and hymns week by week, and that can be very helpful, especially for visitors. I think we had a couple of comments or questions. Yes? In regards to that particular issue, specifically for the hymns and a little less so for the book, don't you have to be aware of the copyright issues that you've got as well? You do, and so you may not be able to reprint the music. Um, if you print the words, that may or may not be permissible. There are some hymns that allow that. The 1940 hymnal is not public domain. It's still owned by the Church Hymnal Corporation. So we, we do need to be careful about that. But even if we don't print the, the musical notation, it might still be possible to print the lyrics. Just one little follow-up. There is a website called, I believe it's hymnal.org. Yes. They have a lot of the, the hymns that are, either the copyright has expired or has not been renewed, that are available to print freely. Um, and you can pretty much get almost the entire 1940 hymnal there. There are a few that still have Outstanding. And if it's online, it's, it's okay to use it. <laughs> well, in this case. Yeah. Now, not always, right. but, but in this case, you're looking at hymns specifically that have public domain. Oh, we have multiple questions. Uh, and I know Father would like to speak as well. Let me just start around. Well, I have two more points, but let's, let's go, Father, to your question. Yes. Uh, one of the things about printing, if it doesn't leave your church, if you're not putting it out there in the street for sale in order to raise money for the church or whatever, these are things you are printing off in your congregation for their use in your worship. You don't have a problem um, with uh, copyright. Excellent. And that goes for hymns as well as... Um, so as long as you're using it for essentially private... For yourself. For your own church or, your, or yourself, it's okay. Wonderful. Who else had a comment or question? 
Yes, John. If you if you remember, Bishop, at the uh, big center in Atlanta, we went through that question. We did, <clears throat> and we yes. did come up with we could publish lyrics. Lyrics. You remember that's what we. I did. do. And uh, um, again, we were keeping it in house and so forth, along with what the gentleman said. Good. Uh, it's 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 real touching. It's a tightrope, isn't it? It's it's very delicate. We have to be careful. We do. Other comments or questions? Yes. Yeah, what about if you uh, subscribe to a copyright company like CCLI? We do that. And it says that you can use the 1940. Yes. And you can print it. Then you can print that. Yes. You can purchase a license to use this material. Right. So St. Barnabas has done that in the past. That's what we do. So that that is that is absolutely permissible as far as I understand it. What was that? Yeah. CCLI. I wonder, um, with the 1940 hymnal, um, just, you know, over the years, it seems like there are, uh, there's varying levels of, of, like, theological and musical quality of the hymns. I mean, some of them have, you know, slipped in there. There's some of the, uh, you know, fatherhood of God, brotherhood of man, kind of stuff, the gospel stuff that's in that I think is kind of light. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and so I wonder, from, is there any direction, like, you know, here's out of, you can't, the congregation can't learn all these hymns anyway. There's too many hundred of them there. Are there like kind of the best, like the best hits that you would recommend? <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, see, like great question. I mean, obviously, there's low hanging fruit, like if Charles Wesley wrote it or John Mason Neal translated it. It's probably worth singing, but you know, I wonder if there's something like that from the diocese level saying this is like the, the best of the 1940s. You know, that list has never been compiled, although for the diocese, although I'm sure a number of parishes have constructed yeah. such a list, and some of the some of the hymns in the 1940 hymnal are Victorian. Maudlin, and in some cases, saccharine and silly. Yeah. You know, some of them are not of high quality, and some of them are of a questionable, questionable theological integrity or orthodoxy. So I think we do need to be, we need to be uh, very dis discerning. We need to be very reflective and cautious and, and, and very thoughtful about the, the hymns that we actually choose. And I think this is a worthy project. Maybe we can come up with a top 100. The top 100 list is a marvelous yeah. idea. I mean, seriously, it would be wonderful, I think, coming from just you know, author authoritatively, even from the, uh, you know, from the bishop. Sure. <laughs> say, like, these are well, and there are so many other resources. While we're speaking about the subject of liturgical music, of which I am certainly not an expert, but uh, we all have had a lot of experience, of all of us, both laity and clergy, through the years, uh, there are excellent resources in other hymnals around uh, the English-speaking world. My favorite, personally, is the English hymnal of 1906-1907, which was edited by Ray Vaughan Williams, the great English composer. The hymns in that, that was specifically designed to be an Orthodox Anglo-Catholic hymnal for the Church of England, and it has all the greats of, of the English tradition, Lift High the Cross, for example, amongst others, marvelous English hymns not found in our hymnal, which are worthy of being part, incorporated into our liturgical form in, in America. So th there are other examples like this. The Reformed Episcopal Church has now published its own hymnal. I want to say it's called the Book of Common Praise, and it has received high reviews, actually. So if, if you're interested in finding a modern hymnal that has tried to call all the good ones out and, and re-establish them in a new hymnal format, uh, please investigate the Reformed Episcopal Church hymnal. That has come highly recommended. 
Uh, if you get your hands on a 1916 American hymnal, let me know, because that's worth a fortune on eBay. So, <laughs> right. Yes, Father. And you'll take donations, right? Absolutely. The 1940 hymnal has the hymnal companion of the 1950. That's a, if you're serious about using the 1940 hymnal, you should get one, because they, they in the 1940 hymnal, they actually changed some verses and words and mm -hmm. deliberately did so because of already liberal tendencies going on yes. at that point. <laughs> And there's extra verses in it, there's Latin originals, there's all kind of helpful resources. Outstanding. So that's yes, if, if we can keep our eyes out for resources that sort of predate the modernist heresy, that's always a good thing. Mm -hmm. And we, we recommend that, certainly. Yes. A great deal of the music comes from the choir. And our choir director puts out all the line every week what the choir is going to be singing and doing and places it in context with the with the total program for Sundays, and and much of it is seasonally determined anyway. So if you had your top hundred, you still have to do something. Oh yes, that's true. Because we would have to go through the liturgical cycle, the Absolutely. church calendar, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany. Yes, they'd have to be laid out. When you start getting into the major feasts and fasts of the church, the hymns there generally are quite fabulous. So we are very familiar. A lot of those are. So again, we need to be discerning, selective, uh, reflective, uh, conscious of, of what our people can sing and what is desirable, and try to, to uh, isolate, to pull out, and to apply the best of the best. But the 1940 hymnal, in its defense, the 1940 hymnal is still a tremendous resource. It's vastly superior to most of the products that came after its time in all of the main line, the sideline, Protestant churches in America, certainly it's superior to the 1982 Episcopal Hymnal, for example. I would say that. So the 1940, of course, is still the authorized standard hymnal of the APA. It's a formulary, so we do still use it, and we should. But it's not forbidden to go outside of it to find hymns of the great English church tradition that we love and in which we stand. And that, that's permitted. If I may, please, I'd like to offer a couple more points. And we're, we're growing closer to our time together. Let me speak to number nine of my ten points. We can avoid eccentricity by doing things well by the book. What do I mean by that? We do want to avoid eccentricity in our parish worship. We should follow the prescribed liturgical guides and directions for this is very important to the proper execution of the liturgy. Church should be deep, but not odd. <laughs> There's a difference. Church should be profound. Church should be deep. People have asked me for years, are you high church or are you low church? I say, I am neither. I am deep church. That is, we take church seriously, whatever its ceremonial form may be. And there's a lot of variety in Anglicanism. Our goal is to get below the controversy of churchmanship and penetrate the heart of the Catholic and apostolic faith. We want to be deep church. Whatever our ceremonial is, whatever local nuances, whatever local customs, some of those can be indifferent. But what is important is that we go to the heart of the faith in the proper and reverent execution of our liturgy. Liturgy should be accommodated to local requirements and space. 
A cathedral liturgy will not fit into a small building. Precision in all things done decently and in order helps avoid the appearance of weirdness. We don't want to have a weird church. So the way to avoid weirdness is precision. All things done decently and in order. And this takes practice. And it takes planning. And it takes preparation. Continuing churches are often accused of not knowing what they are doing at the altar. And this is translated into the perception that we don't know what we are doing outside the altar rail. This is an old canard. It goes way back. Continuing churches are weird, eccentric, strange, because they do all these strange things at the order. It looks like they don't know what they're doing at the altar, so they must not know what they're doing in the world. So we need to be very careful, and it is very true. There's an old adage, as the priest is at the altar, so he shall be in his ministry. If he is sloppy, if he is not preparing himself spiritually, to celebrate the mysteries, if he has a lackadaisical, unprepared attitude, if he is slovenly, this will be revealed and manifested in his pastoral work. And that is true of churches as well. Churches that do not take care in the cleanliness and the appointment of the church at its altar and are inattentive to the proper celebration of the Eucharist and the liturgy these churches can fall into the same bad habits on the outside. What happens at the altar will be translated into the life of the parish. So these problems can be avoided by following the prescribed forms for architecture, fabric, vesture, and ceremonial. But here's my point. If we don't know what to do or how to do it, we should not be afraid to ask for help. A lot of people will not ask for help. If we don't know what to do or how to do it, please don't be afraid to ask. We should ask our superiors. We can ask those who do know and are trusted. And what I've seen over the decades now in the continuing church is that sometimes this is a problem. People may not know in a mission or a church what they should be doing, but they don't reach out for help. But we should. If we don't know, it's okay to ask. And we can receive assistance in all of these matters in terms of how the liturgy can be properly celebrated. And finally, number 10, related a little bit earlier to what I said a few moments ago, varieties and levels of churchmanship continue to flourish and extend in our continuing church as local situations demand and warrant. So long as the integrity of the faith of the seven ecumenical councils is firmly maintained and expressed in our worship, the apostolic faith can be incarnated and conveyed through a spectrum of ceremonial nuances. It is the Mass itself that matters. It is the faith that matters. Minutiae of ceremonial can be left up to the needs and desires of local context. That's okay. However, it should be emphasized in this day and age as we reach out to a much younger population and generation that the fullness of liturgical ceremonial 
appeals to newer generations of churchmen and that fuller liturgical ceremonial should be implemented if we really want to grow. This has been the experience at St. Barnabas in Atlanta and at All Saints in Charlottesville and in other parishes around the diocese. It is the traditional mass and sacraments offered in the beauty of holiness attracting our new converts. We see that at the cathedral, waves of young families, young people, they're converting. A lot of those young people and the families and children are coming out of Protestantism and what they're looking for is the integrity of the Catholic faith. They're looking for the traditional mass and the sacraments. That's why the three churches that are really growing right now in America are the Eastern Orthodox, traditional Latin Rite Roman Catholics, and us. And we are growing in a lot of places across the country. But those who are coming to us, they want the full Monty. They want the full faith. And it must be said, they want to drive a Mercedes-Benz, not a Gremlin. So if we can offer them the traditional mass and sacraments in their fullest liturgical expression, we are fulfilling the heart and mind of the church. In fact, it is the beauty of holiness in the traditional liturgy and the sacraments in a careful way celebrated and presented, which is converting people young and old. So my final thought today is please don't be afraid to use authorized supplements to the liturgy, such as the Missal. And don't be afraid to introduce a carefully rehearsed and executed ceremonial, all as appropriate to local place and time, of course. This ceremonial, though, and the rites with it, are fully expressive of apostolic doctrine, which we uphold. We want to offer not a precious liturgy, not a fussy liturgy, but one that is reverent, dignified, transcendent, beautiful in its presentation, orderly in its form. So to conclude, precision, forethought, and care are always the key to good liturgy. If we want beautiful liturgy in our church, we need precision, forethought, and care. And if we make that effort, we'll go a long way. Now, we still have three minutes, so I want to turn it to Father Matt and see if you have anything you'd like to add. I took up about 40 minutes here. I'm sorry. Could you say seven one more time, please? Seven. Yes, yes. Number seven was, let's see here. Number seven is one should print responses that the people wish to make if they are not in the prayer book. Thank you. They should be in a written form so they can be consulted. Yes. Yes, um, to the uh, Martin Jordan um, comment earlier about the, uh, the uh, weekly uh, Eucharist, the offices of morning and evening prayer and personal prayer, um, and, and this uh, comment about the, the kind of people coming into Orthodox Anglicanism because they want the, the whole you know, traditional liturgy. Um, something that we, we've talked about, I don't know if there's, there's advice on this, how do you get the, the congregation to, to live into like the, the prayer book pattern for life? You know, you think like the, the prayer book, you know, I would love to say, I mean, I'm glad that Christmas and Easter, you know, and All Saints like evoke something that, you know, the feast day of St. Barnabas, I know you guys are at St. Barnabas, you know, you're like, oh yeah, today, that, that's, that's today. 
you know, how do you get those rhythms into the life of the church to where the actual church kind of starts to matter in the, uh, the, uh, the lived? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Absolutely. Yeah. The only answer I have for you is prayerful persistence. I'll give you an example. In 2009, we introduced a mass and benediction for Corpus Christi, which is a specific feast that commemorates the real presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And the first Corpus Christi mass we had, we had two people show up for it. Uh, this year, we had 50, because we had food at the end of it. <laughs> so this actually relates to the other dimension we're talking about, food. Now, all right, so build it, and they will come. That's no longer true. Feed them and they will come is true. So actually one of the things that has helped us build this at St. Barnabas and I'm sure in other parishes, in terms of the daily offices, that's much more difficult because in practical terms, the divine office for most of our lay people has been relegated to a private devotion. And the only way to reverse that trend would be to have specific hours of matins and even song, morning prayer, evening prayer daily in the parish church. But because most of us who are clergy are so busy and we, are, we live some distance from the church building or we have family obligations, it's very difficult daily to offer that. So for us, that, that has suffered a great deal. I might suggest that what we do is we build the foundation of that cycle First of all, by making the Mass the center and the heart of our entire religion. The Holy Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life, chief act of Christian worship. The divine offices flow out of the Eucharist. And so if we can at least begin to create a sacred cycle of Eucharistic worship and fellowship around major feasts and meals, that's a good beginning. That's what we've tried to do. So we have the assumption of Our Lady coming up on August 15th, a Missal Feast. We're going to plan a party after that, and we know people will come. If, if they were just coming to Mass, they would say, eh, eh, maybe I'll show up. But when you have lasagna and red wine and bourbon, they show up. So uh, that, that, and I'm not trying to be flippant or trite. This is true. Uh, the food really does attract people. So I think that's important. I think we may be out of time here very shortly. They'll come get us, I'm sure, if they want us. Yes? Bishop, next question. Um, have, have folks around the diocese found that using Ordo calendars to help publicize those, the liturgical cycle and the special days? Is that yes. Helpful? Very helpful. The G4 publishes its own. Now all four jurisdictions have gone in on one calendar. If you don't have the G4 calendar, you can pick one up for 2020, it'll be great. And it, it focuses, it lays it all out beautifully for us and all the major feasts that we have. Yeah. Yes, Bob. We have a weekly newsletter um, for each week and all those special, um, we say Mass every day, it all says, and all those special feasts are listed so people know when they're coming every week. Absolutely, yes. Oh, That's okay. your At St. Mark's, whenever there's a feast day in the Sunday bulletin, mm -hmm. which is printed that, it's very important to publish the times. I mean, this was not in my list. Thank you, man. This is very important. Let's not forget, we have to publish the times and the days of our services, and they need to be prominently published in the parish. Yes. Uh, another way in regards to the order of calendars to communicate that out is if you don't have a calendar on your website, you should, because that way you can put it. Google, Google Calendar, you can, you, you can download, go to commonprayer.org, 
or download those, put them on your website, and it's immediately available. Absolutely. I think we're technically out of time. Sir, you had a question, though. I wanted to take your comment or question. In my church, we're, we will be without a minister after this coming week. Yes. Uh, that's going to leave it to the three lay leaders. Your notes there, it's easy enough for me to catch your, your 12 points and relay those on, the 10 points. But what I would like to have is a copy of your subsequent comments. Yes. Did you put that either on? <coughs> yes, that's going to be put on websites. We're going to be publishing that material. I'd love for you to read it. Thank you. This this is going to go on a well. I'm not supposed to give this away. A new website is about to be released where all of this material is going to be published. So yes, it'll be online. And if you would like a personal copy, please email me. I'll be delighted to send it to you. Please. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much for that. And what do you do about parishes that don't have a priest or a deacon? That, that lays out a whole different set of concerns and priorities. And uh, you can render very beautiful and, and appropriate worship in that situation. Uh, we've all had to do the best that we can. And we've all struggled in the continuing church for decades about you know, supplying our parishes and missions with clergy. It's getting better, but uh, the, the, the basics can be applied in this to even a parish that does not have a resident clergyman. Yes. Everything you said that didn't apply just to the Eucharist. No, not at all. It applies to the whole liturgical cycle and form of the church. That's right. And matins and evensong can be rendered with magnificence. And there's a way that we can do that. We are now out of time. God bless you all. Thank you very much for your patience. <laughs> Father, you didn't get to speak. And that's a okay. <laughs>